we are at the end. Can you believe it? It's, I guess, been two or three months, uh, but we are at the end of Jesus's famous message on the mountain uh, that is supposed to remind us of, of Moses being on the mountain. And so as he wraps up this message, he, he closes with challenging us to evaluate our life and what we're leaning on, and what we're trusting in, and where our foundation is. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, or if you have it on your phones, we're in chapter 7 of Matthew, the 24th verse, and this is the good news. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man or woman who built their house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And so, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of God for you and me and all God's people. Thanks be to God. Amen. Um, a church in a town, gosh, about a thousand years ago, decided to go out and build the bell tower on the front end of their church property. It was 1172 A.D. And so they began the work, and they worked hard, and they gathered stone from all around, and had a nice foundation and worked on it for six years straight. And in those six years, they took it from the rock floor up to two stories. And then they noticed something. The foundation was shifting and the building was tipping. They didn't know what to do, and so they stopped then and there and just let it sit. No bells incomplete, in town, untouched. Well, after about a hundred years, in 1272, they figure, well, the foundation is settled by now, and so let's get to work again. And so they began that work and began to add a third story and a fourth story and a fifth story and tale is, is it took another 100 years, and it wasn't until 1372 that the bell tower was completed, and they put bells up in the top, seven bells, and were able to ring them for all the community to hear and enjoy. But the thing is, the foundation was still lousy. So much so, they built one side of the bell tower longer and heavier than the other side, hoping that it would keep it upright. And through several earthquakes, it has, 
We know it today as the Leaning Tower of Pisa, a building built on a bad foundation, but with some genius human engineering, it's still standing. And in fact, probably the most important of the engineering was in 1990. By 1990, its tilt had gotten to five and a half degrees. And they're like, ooh, this can't go on anymore. We've got to fix this. And so they fixed it. But they didn't want it standing straight up and down because then it wouldn't be the Leaning Tower of Pisa anymore. <laughs> so they shifted the foundation and got it to 4% which is where it currently stands to this very day. It's the story that reminds us, again, how important having a good foundation is if you're going to build anything lasting. And we're reminded of that even this week, as out west, they're going to be hit by one of the few hurricanes they ever have ex experienced out there. They're going to get a year's worth of rain today and tomorrow. And as well, they're going to see the floodwaters rise and the, the storms come and they're going to have to see how well their foundations have been built for their homes and their businesses in Los Angeles and all up and down the coast and everywhere else. And so we're praying for them that their, their houses do have a good foundation because I know many of you, you've seen those YouTube videos, right? Well, they'll have a beautiful million-dollar mansion on the Pacific coast. And you will watch as it slides into the ocean and off the cliff that, you know, it had its perfect view of. Uh, we've seen that happen before. It's important to get your foundation right, not just if you're building a house or a, a business or a tall building, but especially building a family or a life for a future. And so as Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount, he challenges us to reflect on what we are building our foundation on as human beings. He challenges us and says, listen, you can be wise in this endeavor or you can be a fool in this endeavor. It's your choice. He says, you've heard me speak for the last, you know, I don't know how long his sermon took. It might have taken two hours. You know, you've heard me teach and give you all these tools about how to have the Beatitudes and how to take the law and prophets and, and revolutionize them and take them to a whole new level in your life and how to love your neighbor as yourself and how to sense true and false prophets and how to ask, seek, and knock. And I've been telling you all this stuff. And you can either take that and be foolish, or you can take it and be wise. And we notice, in fact, there is a really only one difference between the fools and the wise. And that is what? The wise men who have the good foundation, they put Jesus' teaching into practice in their daily lives. The wise people actually try to do what Jesus says to do. They actually try to follow where Jesus says to follow. They try to be like who Jesus calls us to be like in the Beatitudes. And Jesus says, this will make the difference in your life having a solid foundation when the storms come or having your life completely fall apart 
with a great crash when the storms come. And so Jesus challenges us today to choose the path of wisdom by hearing his words, but even more, by doing his words. And the first part of this, um, I think for us as followers of Christ today, it's, it's impossible to do what Jesus wants us to do if we're not continually trying to listen for God's voice for us. So that means we have to develop some good habits of listening well. Adrian Rogers, in his sermon, The Coming Kingdom of Christ, Adrian Rogers is a Southern Baptist who's gone on to be with the Lord, but he said this, Do you think God really believes you when you say, I want to know the will of God, and yet you don't read the one book above all books that God has specifically written to show us his will? to reveal his will to you, to unfold his will to you. Don't you think there's a little bit of hypocrisy in the person who says, God, I want more than anything else to do your will, and yet that person does not study the word of God to find out what the will of God is. And so the first principle for both of these, the fools and the, uh, the wise, are to listen well to take time to hear what Jesus says. And in fact, for Jesus to help be the lens for us to understand often an Old Testament uh, that can be hard to understand and hard to figure out how do we take what worked for Israel 3,000 years ago and translate it into modern life. But it can be done, and the teaching of Jesus is one of the keys that helps us do that as well as teaching of other New Testament leaders like Paul and Peter and James and John. And so we, we seek to hear the truth and the wisdom of this book because that is how we can know what God's will is. And to be a child of the kingdom, we have to not just know, but we have to do God's will. And that's really the second piece, is if you want to be wise, if you want to be wise, then do the things Jesus wants you to do. To help us with this, I want to read just a bit today from uh, George MacDonald. George MacDonald talks about how important it is to do what God calls us to do. Now, some of you may not know George MacDonald. He's one of my favorite authors. He wrote a lot of... Uh, Victorian novels in 1850 and a lot of wonderful children's books that are still great children's books today in 1850. He was a Scottish uh, author of a Christian faith and, uh, and this is what he says about being wise and doing what is true. The moment that whatever goes by the name of truth comes into connection with a man or with a woman the moment that instead of merely mirroring itself in his or her intellect as a thing outside of him, it comes into contact with him as a being of action. The moment the knowledge of it affects or ought to affect the person's sense of duty, it becomes a thing far nobler of importance. The question of truth then enters a higher plane 
and looks out of a loftier window. In virtue of this perceived truth, a person has relations with the universe until then that have been underdeveloped in him or her. But far, but far higher will be the doing of the least. The most insignificant duty raise him. There, in the obedience of a person's actions, let me say that again, in the obedience of a person's actions, he begins to be a true man or a true woman. A man may delight when the vision and glory of a truth and not himself be true. A man whose vision is weak, but who as far as he sees, wants to see further, does the thing he sees, that is the true man and woman. The man or woman who recognizes the truth of any human relation and neglects the duty that they should do is not a true man or woman. The man who knows the laws of nature, morals, rights, and wrongs, and does not listen to them or do them, the more he teaches them to others, the less that person is a true man or woman. The man or woman who takes good care of himself and not his brother or sister is false. A man may be a poet or preacher, a student or teacher, aware of the highest truths of many things, aware of that beauty which is the final cause of existence. He may be a man or woman who would not tell a lie or steal or slander, and yet he may not be a true man or woman insomuch as the essentials of human manhood or womanhood are not his aim. He or she has come into the flower, has not come into the flower of their own being. Man is a man only in the doing of truth. Perfect man or woman only in the doing of the highest truth, which is the fulfilling of his or her relation to his origin. Now, now this is deep stuff, right? All right, so let me let me make it practical. What he's saying, what he's telling us is what Jesus is telling us. He's saying, you can go to church every Sunday and you can not be the person who God wants you to be. You can, uh, you can read your Bible and know the, all the teaching of the Old and New Testaments and you can not be the person God wants you to be. If you want to be the person God wants you to be, you got to do it. If you put the teaching into practice, even one principle, one lesson, one, one thing that Jesus wants you to do, to be generous to the poor or to forgive your neighbor who's offended you, or if you just do one little thing, that's when you begin to become who you were meant to be. And as you take that step of obedience, that step of obeying the will of God, that step of obeying the truth and wisdom of God, God strengthens our foundation. He transforms us from the inside out. And we become, as, as he puts it, the true man or the true woman we're created to be. Does that make sense? It's not up here, he's saying. It's, it's taking what you see in the teaching of Jesus up here and then living it out. And if you live it out once, that'll make you hungry to live it out twice. 
And if you live out twice, it'll make you hungry to live it out four times. And if you live it out four times, that'll make you hungry to live it out ten times. And if you keep following Jesus' teaching and keep living the life he wants you to live and doing the things he wants you to do, it will transform you into being sons and daughters of the kingdom. Sons and daughters of the living God. That's, that's what he's saying. He's saying, just do it. Don't just hear it. Don't just say you believe it. The practical side of Jesus' teaching is now you got to get out and in your relationships with your children, in your relationship with your spouse, in your relationships at work, you got to do it. When the test comes and you say, oh, I really want to be mean to them because they were mean to me. And that golden rule pops into your head and says, treat them the way you would want to be treated. And you say, I don't want to. Jesus says, just do it. Because when you do it, you're being the wise person. And when you're being the wise person, it's going to lay a strong foundation for your life so that when the storm comes, you can find your way through the storm and your house will be on solid ground. And so that's the first principle now, why does Jesus challenge us to keep his teaching, though? Why is that the important piece? I mean, isn't there wisdom all sorts of places? I mean, you could go to the Buddha, you could go to Hinduism. There's wisdom all around. But Jesus has this audacity to say, if you follow my teaching and if you put it into practice, you'll be the house on the rock. And brothers and sisters, that's because wisdom is bound up also with the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, some theologians say it this way, Jesus is wisdom incarnate. And we see that in the story as it concludes, that when Jesus had finished his teaching and saying all these things, it says, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. And that Greek idea of amazed is, is really more of, they were like stunned. Their jaw had dropped to the floor, and they were like, who is this guy? Who has the audacity to say about God's law, the law of Moses? The law of Moses says this, but I want to take this up here, and so I say that. Only Jesus had the audacity to teach as one who had complete authority. Who, when he says to keep my words is wisdom in life, that he means it. And all his life, his life, the Gospels are a testimony that there is something incredibly unique about Jesus Christ. Maybe it's that people would call him Lord and not just Lord, they called him Messiah and King. And Jesus accepted those terms that he is to be one who rules and reigns and we are to be his subjects. Maybe it's the teaching again that he is, his teaching takes the law of the Old Testament to a whole nother level where we now have to interpret the Old Testament through the lens of the Beatitudes and the Gospels. 
in order to better understand what God's will is in those moments and in these times. It's hard to take a 3,000-year-old law and figure out exactly how it applies to our lives today. But Jesus does that, and Jesus helps us do that. He helps us find the will of God in these things. And so we listen for his word, and then we put it into practice. But it is the person of Jesus. It's his teaching. And it's his life, death, and resurrection. Ultimately, it's Jesus conquering death that is to be for us a bright light that says, you know what? God's anointed his son, Jesus. And I'm going to follow him. I'm not just going to come to church on Sunday and listen to what Jesus says. I'm going to be a Jesus follower who tries to do what Jesus has told me to do. Because he says that when the storms come, if I've put his words into practice, that my life will never be the same and my family and my house will be, be salvaged and saved in the midst of the storm. And that's good news, amen? And so one example of this is a fellow named Francis Sue. I want to share Francis's story with you as we close this morning. Francis is a young boy, grew up in a home that they didn't go to church at all. So he had never really heard of the teachings of Jesus, except at school. He did go kind of to a Catholic school and, and had learned a bit about how to pray and ask for forgiveness there. But his love and, and his foundation became his brains. You see, he was a smart kid, and as a smart kid, he developed a great love for math. He had a sense of math, just an awe and wonder at how God can take numbers and make them explain the universe. I mean, that should kind of blow us all away, that numbers can explain the universe, but that's the kind of universe God made. And so he loved math, and he loved being the smartest guy in school, and that's where he laid his foundation in life. He believed that his success would be all he needed to have the kind of life he wanted. And so his identity and foundation was around his brains and smarts. But then when he went to college, that foundation became sandy and shaky, and he began to quake and worry, principally in two ways. In college, he had a, a friend named William that he would study math with, and William was smart, intelligent, and all this kind of thing. And William was, I think, also a little bit strange. And one of the areas where he was strange is he had a poster on his wall of the United States. And on this poster of the United States were big red dots and black dots and orange dots. And they covered the whole map. And there were, like most of the U.S. was covered in dots. And so uh, Francis asked him, say, William, what's with the map and the dots? He says, oh, this is what the United States is going to look like if we have World War III. The only places that you can live, you know, where, that haven't been hit are the little places out west in the middle of nowhere. And that kind of shook him. He's like, here I can get all the success in math, but if World War III happens, we're all toast. What do we do then? And so he asked William, well, what's, what kind of hope can we have? And William's response was, the only hope I know of is to believe in God 
they kind of took that away, but and that kind of shook him a bit and his foundation a bit. But there was a second thing that I think shook it even more, and that is his parents' health. In this season, his dad had been diagnosed with colon cancer. His mom was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, or ALS, of which there's no cure. And his, his life was in the middle of a tremendous storm. And his success and his brains and his smarts could not save him or his family or his foundation. And so he quaked and shuddered and wandered lonely and lost around campus one evening. And that evening he happened to run into two fellas who said, well, have you ever thought of giving Jesus a try? He got together with these two guys the next week and they told him that that Jesus can give him a solid foundation, that he can build his life on Christ, and that one of the things with Jesus is this incredible relationship we can have with the Savior, and that through Jesus and Jesus' own suffering and death on the cross, that he could know that Christ's heart went out for his mom and dad and all that they were going through. And that began to speak to his heart and he had to make a choice to keep his foundation on his smarts and his capabilities on his own or instead to begin building his life on Jesus. And he says, he says it this way. He says, of course, I knew that if I proceeded down the course, the path of faith, that I wasn't going to throw my mind away. Instead, I'd need to actually read the Bible and investigate its claims but I took a leap and decided to commit my life to Jesus Christ. Francis, real smart guy, got his PhD in mathematics at Harvard, decided as a college student to take a chance on Jesus and found in him a rock that would stand, that it would help him in the midst of his storms with the illnesses of his parents, it would help him trust in God in the midst of a broken world that could be destroyed at any moment. He went back to his room, his other student, William, that he would hang out with, and he told William, I've decided to follow Jesus. And William said, well, I'm glad. I've been praying for you for the last several months that you might find Christ. You see, we never know how we might make a difference to help others find a solid foundation too. And so the question the Lord lays for us today is how is your foundation doing? How is your foundation doing? In the midst of the storms, are you ready to put Jesus' teaching not just stuck up here in your brain, right? Let's just do it. Live it out. It's not easy but it will be the thing that saves us in the midst of the storm. And I know we know our, our church community, we're in a bit of a storm at the moment. None of us really asked to be in, but it's here. And once again, we will find strength together on the rock of Christ if we will together be the spiritual family we're supposed to be and want to be and, uh, and keep on putting his truth into practice, most of all. 
And that's my prayer for us today. That's my prayer for you and your families. May you build your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, um, you are our rock in the midst of the storm. We thank you for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus, to show us the way to live a life of wisdom that can give us strength in the midst of life's storms. Because whether we encounter a hurricane or whether we lose a job, or whether we are having struggles in our family, um, Lord, we need to live out and do what you tell us to do. For we know we will find strength when we follow you. And so let your Holy Spirit help us with this. It's not easy. It's not easy to go the extra mile. It's not easy to be generous. It's not easy to trust you with our daily bread. It's not easy... Uh, to love our neighbors, much less our enemies. And so, Heavenly Father, help us with the help of your Spirit. Be the children of God, sons and daughters of King Jesus, now and forever. We pray in Christ.